Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to start a new series today called The Invisible War, and one of the things that affects us every day is things we cannot see. And we need to understand that because it affects everyone here, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. And so the Word of God tells us about the unseen things in this world. And matter of fact, out of the things that we see, the unseen things actually were a product of the Word of God before we saw what we see. Does that make sense? So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, this is where we're going to begin today. And If you'd like to read with me, you can. Let's go. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, you've probably made the same mistake as me. I focus more on what I see than what I don't see. And what I see is only fleeting and it's temporal, but what I don't see is eternal. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us. And Lord, speak to our hearts through your word. We want to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit today. And God, we love you today and we give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. So it's the seen and the unseen. We might say it's the invisible. A teacher was going through kindergarten, saw a little boy with his colors, and he was frantically uh, making a picture and drawing a picture and coloring a picture. And the teacher said, uh, what, are you, what are you drawing? And he said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, nobody's ever seen God. We don't know what God looks like. And he said, when I finish, we will. <laughs> so the Bible tells us about this invisible God uh, Two things here that really stand out to me in this passage is that five times in the New Testament the word invisible appears. It appears over and over and over again. And three times God is referred to as the invisible God. And twice Jesus is declared to be the expressed image of the invisible God, which means he's the precise likeness, the expression in every respect of who God is. And one of the issues we're dealing with today, and it's really uh, with everybody today, it's been a huge issue uh, since uh, back at the beginning of the March, is the pandemic. And do you know that I could solve the pandemic in 14 days? And let me give you an illustration. Matt's going to help me here. And uh, we, we have some volunteers from the crowd. So if we could get everyone to have this sticker on them and we could see all of the coronavirus and what we would do is just stay away with everybody who looked this way for 14 days and it would be over but here's the problem what you see you can't see it is microscopic matter of fact the only way you could get this picture is with an electron microscope so If you see somebody who looks like this, just say unclean, unclean, stay away from them, and and everything would be okay. But here's the problem. We we can't see those things, right? They are unseen. So that's why it keeps going and going and going, because what we don't see is affecting everybody here. And if we could see it, we could solve it. 
But really, God's Word is our microscope. And if we look at it through the lens of the Word, then we can begin to see things we cannot see with the natural eyes. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. Give them a big hand this morning. You've ever heard this, uh, what you don't know won't hurt you? Or what you can't see won't hurt you? How many of you know both of those are false? It, it's just not the truth. There are unseen things in life that manifest. You can't see them, but after a while, the results of those things begin to show up. Uh, different diseases, attitudes, symptoms that affect our life on a daily basis. So the results of what we can't see manifest in the visible and the natural, and then it's exposed and recognizable. But if we could catch it before then, how many of you know that would be better? If I could stay away from what I can't see as far as the virus, if I could stay away from those who are infected, the unclean people, I'm going to be okay. But the problem is, I just can't see it. Now, there are three fronts that we're battling all the time. And I want you to get this today. We're going to focus just really on one. But if you go to 1 John, John really begins to deal with this in Scripture. This is chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14, 15, 16. He said, I've written to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but it is of the world. Now, I don't know if you caught these three areas that John gives us. And uh, if you did, great. If you didn't, I'm going to share them with you. Verse 14, he says, the wicked one. Say that with me. The wicked one. Look at verse 15. He says, the world. Let's say it together. The world. Look at verse 16. He says, the flesh. So he's saying we're on a three-pronged or three-area, three-front war, and, and all these are invisible. You, you really can't see the effects uh, of it in the natural sense, they will manifest later, but you have to look at it from a perspective, is this is an invisible war that we're fighting. So let me just kind of give you the order that I can understand it and remember it. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say that with me. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So I want to deal with one, and it is the flesh, and the world is the battle around us, the flesh is the battle within us, and the devil is the battle against us. So you're, you're fighting the battle within you, you're fighting the battle around you, and you're fighting the battle that's coming against you. So if we could understand what we do and how this operates, it's going to help everybody in here. How many of you believe that? Now, honestly, when you look at this first issue that we're going to talk about, which is the flesh... Our, our internal struggle, our internal battle, then we have to see that John calls it flesh. But Paul calls it something different. He, he says it's the flesh. He says it's carnality. It's our own sinful nature. But you can't see it with the natural eye. But yet it does manifest in all of our lives. And honestly, we're all dealing with this. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you're still dealing with it. And at a very early age, you, you learn. You know, I've got two grandkids now, and uh, on Labor Day weekend, uh, the kids came down, and then they were down this weekend. We love to see them uh, in, in limited time frames. Um, 
You know, when you're older, grandkids just wear you out. I'm just telling you, this makes you tired. So uh, Matt had bought some uh, Mickey Mouse ice cream sticks. So it's an ice cream on a stick with the chocolate on the outside, but it has ears on it. And so we decided to go outside. So Uncle Matt had bought those. So Aaron and Natalie and the kids were there. And so we decided for um, me and Riley to be good with ice cream when it's warm. Better eat it outside. So we go outside, we're, we're eating ice cream, and so Riley has to go do something outside, and we're on the deck, and she says, Papa, hold my ice cream. So I, I, I get a hold of her stick, and I have the ice cream, and she takes a couple of steps, and she comes back, and she said, you know you're only holding that for me, right? <laughs> like, you're, you're not going to take a bite of that. But, but here's the deal. I, I struggle, and you struggle with things that you want to do, and you know that you should not do those, right? And you're not the only one who has that struggle. Paul had it in Romans 7. So if you'd like to turn there, you can get a little taste of that. Because in Romans 7, he deals with this issue of doing things that you don't want to do. And not doing things that you should do. It is a battle. It is a struggle. And it's that inward battle that everybody here faces. And I don't care who you are. And this is the way he puts it. He says, the things that I want to do, sometimes I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, sometimes I do those things. And he said, who's going to deliver me? So this dilemma is going on in every person here. And you're not so holy, you don't have the struggle. You're not so spiritual, you don't have the struggle. You're going to have the struggle. You're going to have that inward war, that invisible war inside of you, as long as you're in this body. And as long as you're there, you're going to have those difficulties and those challenges. It doesn't mean you have to give in to them. doesn't mean you can't defeat them. It just means that invisible war is always going to be going on. Can I hear an amen? Now, when Paul addresses this, he gets down to verse 24, and he makes this statement. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I'm having a struggle here. I don't want to do this, I do it. I should do this, I don't do it. And he calls himself a wretched man. Now, notice something in Romans 7. Paul mentions the word law 20 times. He goes, law, 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 law. I mean, not singing, law, L-A-W. So, so he mentions the law 20 times. Why does he keep mentioning the law? After he does it once, he keeps doing it. Because laws tend to prevent bad behavior, but they don't solve it. Laws prevent bad behavior, but they don't solve it. Should we have laws in our land? Absolutely. Do people break the law? Absolutely. Will they continue to break the law? Absolutely. Why? Because the law tends to try to prevent bad behavior, but we will always have lawbreakers. And the law tends to example and show that fallen nature of things that we shouldn't do. Uh, years ago, I, I read this article about the flagship inn in Galveston, Texas. How, how many of you have ever been to Galveston? How many of you are uh, remembering when there used to be a hotel on the pier out over the water in Galveston? I actually remember that. And so the dilemma of the people who had the hotel was that a few people found out that they could fish from their hotel room because it was on a pier. 
And so they would open the window, this is a true story, and they would throw out into the water, into the gulf, and they would fish. Now here's the problem. A lot of times when they would reel their, uh, their fishing pole back in, because many times they had a lead weight on it, it would swing into some of the windows below, and it would crack the windows. So they decided, the hotel management decided, they're going to make little bitty uh, plaques and put in the rooms that said, please don't fish from your hotel room. And it increased it. Because people thought, wow, I can fish from my hotel room. And sometimes that's what laws do. They, they, they exemplify what we should not be doing. And so he mentions this over and over and over. But what the problem with the law is, the law tries to change you from the outside in. And guess what? It doesn't really work, does it? But Jesus is telling us, if we're going to be changed, we have to be changed, what? From the inside out, and that's the way true change absolutely comes. Now, I've heard this illustration, and I think it was a good one. You know, we might try to change some behavior from the outside in, and maybe we'll get a little bit of a result. But really, true change comes from the inside out. So if I brought a pig in this morning... And, and I said, what, what is this? We, we have a, a big pig, and you would say, that's a pig. But I take that pig for a week, and we, we take it home, and we put it in the bathtub, and put some bubble bath in, and we rub some oil of Olay on the, uh, the pig, and we, we paint the pig's little hooves, and we, we maybe even dress it up and give it a little uh, haircut, and put a dress on it and a bonnet, and get some pig lipstick, and put it on the pig, and I bring it back next week and put it up here, and, and I say, what is this? And you know what you're going to say? That's a pig. I don't care how much you dress it up, that's still a pig. And a lot of people are trying to change their life from the outside in. You're not a pig, but the same principle applies. It just doesn't work, because the same nature that that pig had the week before I don't care how much you beautify the pig, you know, uh, corral number five on it, whatever it is, uh, it, it will never act any way but being a pig. So we have to realize the law really doesn't work the way that we think the law should work. And that's what Paul is illustrating. He says law, law, 20 times he tells us the law, and he's telling us that this inward battle is not going to be solved by you and I keeping the law. And that's why sometimes church and religion gets legalistic because we think we can change someone by legalism and it never works. You and I have to have a real change from the inside out. Can I hear an amen? Now here's some very serious issues, and I want to give you four today, that we're all dealing with that can help us get over some challenges, some humps, some difficulties in our life, and we want to address those this morning. Here's the first one. The first one is guilt and shame. Say that with me. Guilt and shame. All of us have felt guilt and shame. It's just a product of the human experience. If you break the law, you are guilty, right? You do something horrible, you're, you're guilty. Terribly wrong, most people feel that shame and that remorse. If we violate God's laws, if we violate His ways, 
then there is guilt and shame that comes upon us. It's a natural thing because God built inside of you a conscience. And even kids can feel that. They, they sense that they did something wrong. Now, if you remember when God created Adam from the dust of the earth, he breathed into him, made him a living spirit, living soul. And then he took from the side of Adam and he created Eve. And the Bible says, and they were naked and they were not ashamed. They were naked, not ashamed. Look in the word ashamed and guess what you see in it? Shame. They were not ashamed. But when they sinned and they violated the law of God, the Bible says, then they knew they were naked and now they are ashamed. So when we violate the law of God, what happens? Guilt and shame comes in our life because we know we're not living, doing what we should be doing. Every born-again believer, listen very closely, every born-again believer should not be walking in guilt and shame. If you're walking in guilt and shame, then you don't fully understand what Jesus Christ did at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, He took your guilt he took your shame, he took my guilt, took my shame, and he took it to the cross, and there he paid the penalty for your guilt and for your shame. And that should never, ever be an issue that you war against and you see and you deal with over and over and over again. Can I hear an amen? Once and for all, the Bible says, he dealt with it. Once and for all. Now, I would love to tell you today, once you're saved, you will never, ever sin again. I'd love to tell you that. Look at your neighbor. You're not believing that at all, are you? Because once you're saved, you may make a mistake. You may say some things you shouldn't say. You may have an attitude you shouldn't have. You may do some things you shouldn't do. Can I hear an amen? And listen, don't be so holy on me this morning. Uh, you're driving down the road and someone does something and all of a sudden you say something you shouldn't say. Or somebody rubs your fur the wrong way and you do something you shouldn't do. Or So what do we do? Do we have to get saved again? No, but we, we will feel the conviction and, and the wooing of the Holy Spirit uh, of God in our life. But God does not condemn us in our sin. He will convince us of our sin. He will convict us of our sin. And so we repent and we move forward, but we don't have to walk in that guilt and shame. If we continue in guilt and shame, and a lot of people do, it has horrible, horrible results, negative results. There is guilt and shame that produces low self-esteem, insecurity, depression, People struggle inwardly, and, and you can't see it visibly, but they're struggling inwardly, and it's invisible to you, and it's invisible to me. And many of you, including myself, you've had family members, a, a, a sister, a brother, a, a mother, father, or someone who struggled with some issues, and they were fighting a war inside, and sometimes you didn't understand they were fighting that war, right? And we're not you know, saying that they're a bad person. We're just saying everybody at, at some point in time has that inward struggle. And we have to realize that, and you can have that, but one of the ways we get past that is to understand that if I know Jesus, I don't have to live in guilt and shame. I can continue to live and be free from me. Because the battle many times is just inwardly, right? 
It's not you creating the battle. It's not even the devil creating the, bio, the, 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 the battle within me. And the Bible says that. Does anybody remember Flip Wilson? You're old. Uh, <laughs> Flip Wilson, he, he was a comedian, and, and he had a tagline, and this was his tagline, the devil made me do it. How many of you remember that? He'd always say, well, the devil made me do it. You, you know what? We, we say that a lot of times, and I think the devil's coming before God and said, wasn't me. That's them. I didn't do that to them. They did that to themselves. So I think sometimes we have to realize that this struggle is real, and we have to take that guilt and shame and realize that Christ took that to the cross, and I don't have to continually fight that battle, the battle within us. Romans 7 gives us the problem, but Romans 8 gives us the solution. Look at chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, so believers should not live in guilt and shame because Jesus took that to the cross and He dealt with that. And you don't have to live in that anymore. You shouldn't have to constantly fight that battle. Now I want you to see something here. Back in verse 24, Paul says, uh, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, what shall deliver me? Are you listening? He didn't say, what shall deliver me? He said, what? Who shall deliver me? Look there in verse 1. Who's he talking about? Christ Jesus. You know how you're going to get delivered and I'm going to get delivered? Christ Jesus. It's not going to be you're going to be good enough, you're going to be smart enough, Dr. Phil's going to come in and help you. Uh, you know, you're going to watch an episode of, of, of Oprah and you're going to be better. Let me tell you who's going to help you. It's going to be Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That I am going to come and deal with that guilt and shame because of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. It's the invisible war in your mind. Say that with me. The invisible war in your mind. There in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Did you notice that Paul mentioned the mind five times, one after another? You know, this is what I've learned, and I've been doing this a long time. I believe that God moved on holy men of old to write Scripture. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. You believe that? Paul is not repeating himself. The Holy Spirit's not having Paul to repeat this because he forgot what he said. You know why this is repetition? So you and I would get it. Notice this. Set your minds, set your minds, set your minds, set your mind for the mind that is set. Do you realize where we get the word mindset? There you go. That's it right there. What, what's your mindset? That's what Scripture says. If your mindset's set on the things of this world, the flesh, it's death to you. 
But if you set your mind on the Spirit, it is life, it is peace, it's the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised because we're setting our mind on the things that we should set our mind on. Can I hear an amen? Have you ever noticed that people who are successful, those who have great life experiences, and those who are going to heaven have got a good mindset? And you have to sometimes change your mindset? Have you ever turned the television on and there was something you didn't want to watch or something you shouldn't watch? And you didn't sit there and say, I shouldn't watch this, I shouldn't watch this, I shouldn't watch this. There's this wonderful thing called a remote control. And uh, if you're very old, you used to be the remote control. But if there's something there that should not feed your mind or you shouldn't watch, all you have to do is what? Change the channel. Change the channel. So if your mind begins to think on things it shouldn't think on, you need to change the channel. You, you mean I can do that? <laughs> Absolutely, the Bible tells you that. Don't think on this, think on that. Paul says in Philippians, don't think on this, think on that. What are you doing? You're changing the channel of your mind. And everybody can do that. But if you just keep thinking on the wrong thing, the negativity, the, the worldly thing, the fleshly thing, the corrupt thing, let me tell you what's going to happen. Although it's invisible inside of you, it's going to manifest in a way that you don't like it, and it's not going to be good for you, right? So we have to understand that there is this invisible war, and just because you think something, don't think that you can't think something different. So we have to think what we're thinking about, right? Here's another good advice. And you don't have to say everything you're thinking. Okay, hold on to your pew. It's going to get worse. And the older you get, the worse it gets. The older you get, the worse it gets. And I found that with me. Because I just feel like I have this compulsion this right to tell people what I think. And usually it makes things worse. You have to control your thinking. Paul says the mindset, the mindset, the mindset, the mindset, the mindset. And you don't have to say what you think and you don't have to think what you think. You can change the way you think. Now, when he says this, I think what he's saying, what the Bible says, you need to gird up the loins of your mind, don't have wondering thoughts, wondering uh, mindsets. And so the question is, what are we setting our minds on? Here's the third thing. The third thing is the inward and vi invisible war of fear. The inward and invisible war of fear. And we all face that. Now the only thing that really replaces fear is faith. So we have to have a faith infusion when we have a fear uh, coming into our life. Uh, I've shared this before, but my nephew Jason, when he was very young, we all took a trip to Six Flags over Texas. And Jason was probably about maybe six or seven. I can't remember how old he was, but he wanted to ride the log plume. Does anybody remember the log ride? And, and so uh, 
that was what he really wanted to ride, and he was just barely, you know, the little hand out there, you got to be this tall. So he barely, you know, got there. So we got in line for the log ride. Now, if you've ever been there, they herd you through like cattle. You're in the zigzagged line, and so we're, we're, we're going through the line, and, and he's about six, maybe seven, and we're going through, and he's real excited about riding the log ride. But the closer we get to the log ride, the less excited that he is. Because if you remember where that line is, the last big dip over on your right was the biggest dip where the water splashes and everybody screams. So we're getting closer to the front, and the closer we get to the front, the more he begins to fear. And then he begins to say, Uncle Mike, I don't want to ride this ride. I look behind me, and Dallas is behind me in line. And I said, Jason, we're going to ride this ride. So we move a little closer. He said, Uncle Mike, I don't want to ride this ride. I said, Jason, we're riding this ride, buddy. We get a little closer. He says, I, I don't want to ride this ride. You, you see that fear. His eyes are getting bigger. He's watching that, that big dip there, people screaming. And, and finally, his last appeal was, he says, I'm only seven years old. I said, buddy, we're riding this ride. And of course, once we ride the ride, he's ready to get back in line again because the fear factor was diminished. You see, everybody here is facing this fear factor. And it's an inward battle. Not something you can see, but there's everyone here in one capacity or another. It could be in marriage, it could be in finances, it could be in your faith, it could be anything. That there are elements in your life that there's a fear factor there and you have to battle that. And you have to challenge that. Don't give in to it. Replace it by faith. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, right? And so we have to replace it, and we, we go forward through that fear in faith. So what we do when we have fear in our life, we're looking for stability, we're looking for security, and we're looking for safety. So when fear arises... You're looking for safety, stability, and you're looking for security. On Thursday of this week, my, my great-nephew, Ellis, back in Mother's Day out in preschool, after their little nap after lunch, he got up and he tripped and fell and hit his lip on another little cot next to him, and he busted his lip. It's bleeding. He's crying. His lip is swollen really big. And so the teacher's doing a great job back there. They're comforting him. They take him out of the class. I happen to be walking by at that moment. So Ellis is there, and I said, well, let me take him. So he gets up in my arms, and we go back to my office. And so we get a big picture book, and we begin to look at pictures. And then I got a Reese's peanut butter cup that will heal anything. So I get this big... Uh, Reese's peanut butter cup, and Ellis is there, and, and he's eating this, this peanut butter cup through his big fat lip, and, uh, and, and, he, and he gets better, and so when we quit crying, and, and he's better, so I said, well, let's go back to class, and, and I put him down on the ground, and I put my hand down for him to walk with me, and when I did, he put his arms up like, I want you to carry me. Let me tell you why. Whenever we are hurt, and we have fear, we're looking for security, we're looking for stability, we're looking for safety. 
And that is what we battle many times in our own personal life. Now, I want you to look, if you will, at, at verse 15, chapter 8, there again, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Everybody say fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, whenever Ellis fell and busted his lip, then he's looking for security, stability, he's looking for safety. I provided a little bit of that. The teacher provided a little bit of that. But when Drew showed up, let me tell you, he put his arms out to Drew, and he got in his arms, and he hugged him up, because only the Father can give you that kind of stability, that kind of safety, and that kind of security. That's why the Bible says we have been given the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, I have a father that when I am scared, when I fear, I can run to him and be safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. So we fight that battle. Here's number four. The invisible war of hope and future. Look again, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice this. He says the glory that is to be revealed in us. Listen, he's saying present time, future time. Present time, future time. I'd love to tell you in this present time, God's going to give you a pass from all suffering, pain, and difficulty. How many of you know that's not true? You're going to have your share. You're going to have pain. You're going to have hurt. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have even remorse. But here's the key. The key is do not give in to this invisible war of hopelessness and defeat and the lack of hope. Because according to this Scripture, yes, we're going to have present sufferings yes we're going to have trouble in this world yes we're going to have issues but be of good cheer he has overcome the world and you and I facing this going through this we have a future that is out of this world we have the hope of heaven we have the hope of heaven how many of you believe with me that heaven is better than Duncan and heaven is better than Comanche, and it's better than Velma, and it's better than Walters, it's better than Marlowe, because we have that hope. When there is no power in the present, there is no hope for the future. But we have hope today. Not looking out in the sweet by and by, right? We have hope today. And we have a future today. And even if you're here today and say, listen, my future doesn't look very bright. Now, let, let me just back up here and say, I understand what you're saying, but that's not true. If you're a born-again believer, maybe you got a bad report at the doctor. Maybe you're having a difficulty in your marriage. Uh, maybe you're having an issue, you know, uh, with, with, with something financial or whatever. But if you're a born-again believer, your future is very, very bright. Your future is out of this world. How many of you know God's retirement plan is out of this world, right? So you have a future 
in heaven with Jesus Christ that is out of this world. And don't ever forget that. Because this is what's going to happen. You're going to have those feelings of depression, despondency. You're going to look around in this world. We'll talk about this maybe next week. And you're going to say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, there's some horrible things out there. But listen, but for you and I, but for us, heaven's our home. And this world's not going to exist anyway forever. But God's Word will exist forever. And heaven's going to exist forever. And you're going to exist forever somewhere, right? Look, look with me what he says about hope. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Do you see the comparison? What we see and what we do not see. And what we do not see is what? Invisible. So where's your hope? Your hope is not in this world. I hope you have great success in this world. But ultimately, your hope is not in this world. Where is your hope? Your hope is in what you cannot see today. My hope is what I cannot see today. I have a hope beyond this world. And that's why you can go through life and every once in a while sing zippity-doo-dah, right? Uh, have you ever done that? You, you've been really down and you're facing some challenges, but all of a sudden you get to thinking about heaven. You ever done this? I mean, I, I do it pretty often. And sometimes I do it driving down uh, the road in my car. I think about it, I got this going on, I got this, and then I think about heaven, and I think, I'm saved, and I'm going to go to heaven. And then it kind of goes like this. I'm saved, and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm saved and I'm going to go to heaven. And all of a sudden my mind gets off of the stuff that I was thinking about. And now my mind gets over here. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And let me tell you, now this battle that I'm facing with some very negative things gets a little bit better for me because now this invisible war about future and hope gets real because I know what God's Word says. This is my hope. And this is where I'm headed. And this is your hope. This is where you're headed. So we have to understand we're hoping for things. We do not see the invisible. And at this present time, sometimes it's difficult. But we can have that kind of hope. Drop down with me to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, I want to give you some parting words here for you to think on as you leave tomorrow, the next day, until we come back next week. Look at these things that Paul says. Here's the first one. God is for me. God spared not his own son for me, God is giving me graciously what I need, and God is justifying me. Can we say these together? Here we go. God is for me. God spared not His own Son for me. God is giving me graciously what I need. God is justifying for me. Is that not good news? So when you leave today, this is what you're thinking. God's for me. He's not against me. God's for me. And God did not withhold His own Son. He gave His own Son for me. And God has graciously given me every day what I need. 
And look at this. He's justifying me. Do you know the Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ? That's what the Bible says. I've heard some people say, well, you know, we're not going to be judged. We're not going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's the good news. When a judge passes a verdict, there's usually someone who is a defendant, someone maybe who's uh, on the other side. They're, they're petitioning the court for some kind of remedy or resolve. And the verdict goes maybe against one, but goes for the other one, right? And this is what we want. Because this is what I know. There are things that you've done, as Paul said, that I should not have done. And things I should have done, I did not do. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. But the great news is, when you get there, you have an advocate according to the Bible. And the advocate is, he is going to stand in for you to say, listen, all the things that Jack did, all the things that Tammy did, I have taken care of those things, so now I pronounce them righteous because of what I've done, and the verdict goes your way. Now, this is what we don't want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But this is what we do want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the rest that was prepared for you. That's what we want to hear. But until then, until then, we're fighting three fronts. We're warring against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The battle within me, the battle around me, and the battle that's against me. And I want to tell you some good news. You can win every one of those battles if, 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 Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And if you do what Paul said, we battle this through the Holy Spirit. Because you're not strong enough, I'm not strong enough, but how many of you know the God within us is strong enough to win the war? And that's the good news this morning. Would you bow your head with me today? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.